Happy Friday. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast. I'm Jonathan. I'm Emily. Welcome back, David. Hello. So, Legacy Games, the final chapter. <laughs> so, there's been... Pandemic Legacy made such a huge splash. It was such a big deal. Huge splash. It really was. Huge. Um, I've, it's, it, was it, it, went, it rocketed to number one on BoardGameGeek.com's list. And that in and of itself is insane, because um, Twilight Struggle had sat there for something like 12 years. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it wasn't there anymore. And I don't think the BGG community knew how to handle that. And Twilight Struggle Legacy. It's the only natural step. <laughs> oh God, Make it even longer terrifying. and more complicated and more terrifying. War. Oh, wow. Okay. Isn't that basically what Campaign for North Africa tried to do? Pretty much. <laughs> but um, uh, that's some serious inside baseball. Um, but I'll tell you what, though. A lot of these uh, these other legacy games... I mean, Kickstarter has really opened the floodgates for niche kind of games. Yes. Mm-hmm. Games are for a very particular specific audience. Uh, so you wind up with things like Kingdom Death Monster and Gloomhaven and Seventh Continent. These are legacy legacy games that are extraordinarily complex. They are mm-hmm. not particularly accessible for people who are new to board games, mm-hmm. uh, but they are like candy for the sort of players who really want to immerse themselves in another world. Yep. I mean, getting through the Gloomhaven campaign takes like 150 hours. Yeah, oh I'm God. absolutely fine with that. My copy's on a boat just off the shores of Canada right now, and I'm looking forward to getting it. <laughs> I kickstarted the reprint. and um, it, Can people it's... drop in and drop out of that? Yeah, they can, and this is one of the things I think is quite clever, because um, I'm going to I am going to play that solitaire mm. simply because I know I will never have a group that has the the see-through power to actually get from beginning to end of that. But the nice thing is, if you wanted to come and join my game, Jonathan, you simply look at the level that my town is currently at and create a character at that level, and mm. then we start playing. And that's all it takes. Interesting, because in, in something like Risk Legacy, you could sort of have somebody else join in partway through the campaign, but they weren't there. They don't know their history. They don't know what, why is Australia gone. You know, they, right. they, they won't know about these things. Yeah. Uh, yeah similarly, absolutely. in Pandemic Legacy, um, if somebody hasn't been through these things that took place, firstly, it would take quite a while to get them up to speed with all the rules. It would. Because the way that they're able to do all this stuff with the uh, with, with making it more complex and more involved is by gradually introducing it one game at a time. Yeah. So you can comfortably ramp it up. If somebody has to come in midway through that, it's going to be rough going. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, for those who heard my spoiler uh, moment last episode, I would never introduce somebody to a Pandemic Legacy campaign after the moment where I said things go crazy. Yep. Because from that point and onwards, you've missed too much. Yep. It's like a theatre show. You can get in ten minutes late and you're probably okay. Come in any later than that, you won't have any idea what's going on. And I think that's true of Pandemic as well. Gloomhaven... Now, I don't know fully how Gloomhaven works. I've I've read into it and I've heard people talk about it and I've heard interviews with, uh, with Isaac Childress, the designer. But I haven't played it yet. But... The one thing that I'm wondering about with drop-ins is when you create a character, they have a goal. And that goal is something they want to achieve with their life. Mm. And when they achieve that goal, they retire. And you draw up a new character. And that character goes into your deck as someone you can meet during your game. So you can have interactions with characters that you have retired. Do you have to keep going with the same character then? I mean, if, 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 if someone drops out... Uh, will it cause a problem for the game that their character is not playing right now? Well, and therein lies the question I don't know the answer to. I see. Um, now, I haven't read the rulebook. I'm sure I could find it online, but I decided I'm just going to immerse myself in it when it arrives because I've got other things I'd rather worry about for now. It seems to me that generally with legacy games, you would ideally want to play with the same group of people repeatedly week after week. I yeah. think so. Or know if someone's going to drop in that they could drop in again. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, it's 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 very much... 
we compared it a little bit to like Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and other sort of tabletop role playing games. It really is like a social event, you know? It's something that you <laughs> oh, kind of like you yes. put in your schedule that you like almost like like vet people ahead of time to make sure that they'll <laughs> stay, to make sure you'll enjoy seeing them that often, you know? Like it doesn't I don't know if I would like enjoy the concept as much if it was going to be a constantly rotating cast of characters. I think that I would be inclined to agree. And one of the reasons I played Pandemic Legacy Season 1 and will now be doing Season 2 Solitaire first is because I knew it would be hard to get a group together frequently Mm -hmm. to finish it. Uh, I am playing a group campaign of Season 1 and it's been on hiatus now for longer than I would care to admit because people's schedules just clash. I think um, Eric Lang referred to this as appointment gaming. Yeah, uh, and where it's <laughs> a good name for it. It's 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 something that you make part of your calendar because mm-hmm. it's that much of an event. It's that big a deal. Well, there's a group every time I every once a week or something when I go into Snakes and Lattes College. There's a group of the staff who are there playing Seafall, mm. which was another one of the another Rob Davio game. Another Rob Davio game. Um, interestingly, given the success that he had with Pandemic Legacy, did not have the same out of the gate success. Mm. Yeah, so Seafall is a competitive game, and uh, therefore it doesn't have that ability of Pandemic to react automatically. It reacts in the game, and I think my understanding, and I haven't played it. But my understanding is that it reacts very slowly at the beginning of the game. There are things that you are discovering and you are finding out, but it didn't have that catch. And having heard people who have played past this point, the catch seems to come about six to eight games in. That's where too suddenly long. That's, that's too long. <laughs> that's it. And things change and things become much more involving. And I understand from that point on, it's awesome. But not everyone is going to persevere to that point. And it's a great shame because it's an expensive thing to pitch into and then decide you don't like. Mm-hmm. These legacy Expensive games, in terms of time and in terms of uh, uh, money commitments. Absolutely, on both counts. And these things, it's worth mentioning, legacy games don't come cheap. Um, they are, you know, they, they need, by default, a larger number of components because things change at various points and mm-hmm. all this sort of thing. And I think that it's it's difficult when you have one that doesn't take the immediate success that Pandemic and Risk had. One of the other criticisms I heard of Seafall is that it's very much a Euro game. It's an optimization exercise, right. which can easily snowball to a point where one person is just going to win and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm. And that frustration, particularly around your third, fourth, fifth game, uh, has driven a lot of people away from mm-hmm. their Seafall campaigns never to return. That's a great shame. That really is. And there's there's ways of slightly mitigating that and admittedly it's more money but Charterstone which is coming out relatively soon is is absolutely fascinating that's coming out from Stonemaier Games on December the 12th mm-hmm. and I'm really interested in this it looks beautiful it's one of the most amazing art games I've seen for a while and it's 12 games so it's relatively short for a uh, for a legacy game and the interesting thing they are doing is they are also selling a refresh pack which costs about 60% of the base game so it's a fair investment to do it but the board you get in the base game is double-sided, and the refresh pack contains one copy of every single component that you could destroy. Oh. So you can reset your game back to zero and, and start again. Destroy different things. Destroy different things, play differently, start with a new group, whatever it happens to be. Which brings us to an interesting question. How big a problem is it, do you think, that once you've concluded most legacy games, you cannot play them further? Do people really... I mean, I, I think it depends on the person, right? That sort of attitude of my media needs to be repeatable has, is hugely divisive. I mean, there are people that don't own 
that are huge readers but don't own a single book because they get all their books from the library or mm. they buy a book, they read it, they give it away because to them, the enjoyment of the book is a one-time thing. Just like there are people with huge libraries and personal connections, um, collections full of things that they've read already but that they want to be able to read again and reference and all that sort of stuff. Guilty as charged. Yeah, and I mean, like I think that's just something that depends on the person. Agreed. And board games that are quote-unquote disposable as right. some people like to say which i personally don't but i, I think like it's consumable better consumable yeah um consumable board games are a relatively new thing <laughs> i think that it'll probably take a little while for people to grow out of the idea that this is just like a waste of money you know i don't get it i mean it's people will go to for, for ages people have gone to the theater or the ballet or the opera or whatever and yeah you pay your money you take in your entertainment you uh you enjoy it you go home and I don't see how that's a ripoff. Agreed. Yeah, you're paying for the experience, right? Well, mm-hmm. I think uh, the other thing that deserves to be mentioned, Tom Vassell made a very good point when this debate came up with Pandemic Legacy, which was he said, how many times in your life, or in a reasonable span of time, before you get sick of it, would you play the average board game? Probably not 18 times. No. Mm-hmm. And I've, I, I keep track of my board game stats. I've been bad about it the last few months. But if I look back over the last couple of years... The most I've played a game is 12 to 14 times. What game is it? uh, There's a few of them. Um, Sagrada is one of them. Um, Number 9, Starfall. Uh, The sort of lighter things, my wife's a big fan of playing games that she knows well. Mm. Uh, And so we'll spend four or five game sessions, we'll be playing the same games again, and then she'll try something new. So I play things repeatedly with her. If I look back at stuff that I play with bigger game groups or by myself... Pandemic Legacy is the only game that goes above about 10 plays right now. And I'm including Arkham Horror. I'm including Legacy Testament of Duke Crazy, which is not a legacy game. It just that's <laughs> has the word legacy in the title. Um, I'm including XCOM. And these are my favorite games. And I haven't played them anywhere near as much. And I've had Arkham Horror now for almost four years. So there's a thing, too. I think the difference is you play them that many times fast. Because you want to finish your campaign, right? right? I played Pandemic Legacy. I played, I think, 21 games in my my Solitaire campaign. And I did that in three and a half months. I would never play a game that much, except maybe something like One Night Ultimate Werewolf that lasts 10 minutes. But this thing's 45 minutes a game. It's almost like it's one giant game that takes three and a half months exactly. that you play in right. 18 different parts. Which know? is where something like Seventh Continent comes in. I think somebody said it takes you roughly a thousand minutes to complete on Board Game Geek. But it has a save state. You can put it back in the box and there's a method of saving where you are in Mm -hmm. the game. Um, What's the difference between something like that and Pandemic Legacy? You're permanently changing this board. You're not writing on Seventh Continent, I don't think. But in order to finish the game, you're probably playing it just as long. Mm. But they do it differently. It is somewhat controversial, sort of like, but yeah. I think rather like the controversy surrounding apps and board games. It's mm-hmm. a bit of a tempest in a teapot. You know, either you care Agreed. for it or you don't. It has something to offer that's unique and yeah. special. I will also say, just regarding people complaining about the non-replayability of it or the fact that it's mm. consumable or disposable, mm. depending on your preferred language, I've noticed this. I mean, it happens in a lot of hobbies, but I've noticed this in board games, especially just because I know a lot of people play a lot of board games. People buy stuff and then never play it. 
Yep. You know? Oh. Like, people just, like, buy things, open it up, punch in all the bits, put the cards in the sleeves, set it up once, stare at it, get a third of the way through the rule book, pack it up, leave it on the shelf for three years. Ouch. It happens all the time. It happens all That's the time. <laughs> and some of those people will also be some of the people complaining that games like Pandemic Legacy or Risk Legacy are disposable. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. Um, and it's a shame, because I think you know they're, they're also missing out on extraordinary experiences. I'm with you, Jonathan. Pandemic Legacy is definitely one of the most extraordinary experiences I've had at the board game table. You'll have to let us know how your campaign goes when you play it, Emily. Yeah, that's... I'm going to probably literally go home and assemble... There's, people. there's a certain question that uh, everybody who's played Pandemic Legacy always asks of others who have gotten through the campaign. And I look forward to asking you this question. I will keep you informed. Excellent. Cool. Something worth talking about as well, since we're on the topic of games that are consumable or disposable. Um, games that only have one playthrough, but that don't involve that element of, you know, ripping up the cards, permanently changing the board... Those do those qualify quite as legacy? I mean, they're close, right? I mean, I'm thinking of things like Time Stories, uh, Sherlock Holmes, or Mythos Tales, or even Tragedy Looper. I don't think so. I mean, um, I think you've played more Sherlock Holmes than I have. But like all of it. As I recall, there was one. There was at least one case that referred to stuff that happened in an earlier case. There's a, there was a few of them, but um, they you didn't make permanent changes to it. That you, mm-hmm. how well you performed in a previous case didn't affect how you performed in a future one, and it didn't uh, sort of open or close any doors as far as possibilities. Uh, I feel like in order for something to be a legacy game, there have to be changes made to it so that my copy of the game is different from your copy of the game. Okay, but do you think that those games can scratch a similar sort of itch? Like, I find that games that tend to have only one playthrough have a serious narrative element, which is something that we were praising Pandemic for, right? For sure. It's, it's, it's the reason why spoilers are a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, any game that uh, can be ruined for you if somebody tells you what happens in it, um, yeah, that's that's going to have a special sort of thing because you're discovering it together with your friends um, and encountering the unknown, which is one of the reasons why Mythos Tales is one of the very, very few games out there that can do Lovecraftian horror mm-hmm. in a way that actually works because you don't know what's out there and it could destroy you. Mm-hmm. So is it safe to say that these sorts of games are maybe a good sort of like test to see if your friends can commit to a legacy game? That's and an interesting question, actually. I would say some of them could be. Mm-hmm. It depends on the game. Something like Arkham Horror the Card Game, which is extremely story-based, mm. but it's a card game, and therefore there is still a game attached to it when it comes out the other end. I think something like that, not so much. Something like Sherlock Holmes... I mean, obviously, the gameplay style is so spectacularly different, mm-hmm. but it might give you some kind of a concept of do people think it's a waste? Yeah, because if you don't want someone in your, especially if you're going to do what a lot of groups do, which is you know, I've got four people here for my group, we all pay for a quarter of the game. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to think it's a waste; they're not going to want to pay for a quarter. Uh, of the seriously, game. though, twenty dollars for eighteen evenings worth of entertainment right? come off it. I know, but some um, people can be like that, unfortunately. Well, um, fine, I'll just pay for their section of it, and then when yeah. they realize that, yeah. was, that they made a mistake, <laughs> they they'll, they, back, they'll yeah. wind up paying it back. Yeah. They will, but um, so they're more like spiritually linked. Kind of, than like, I suppose. I mean, really, the test to know whether or not somebody's going to like Pandemic Legacy is probably to play Pandemic. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, the test for whether or not somebody's going to like uh, Gloomhaven is probably to play Descent or some other dungeon crawler D anD. d Yeah, probably, possibly um, even Pathfinder, mm-hmm. uh, the Adventure Card Game. Because I know Gloomhaven's very card heavy. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And then you say you mentioned Tragedy Looper as well. I think the difference there is 
Uh, it's a legacy game for the players who are not the mastermind mm-hmm. because the mastermind can play that as many times as they want the trick with tragedy looper is once you've played it you know the outcome and you can only ever play the mastermind from that point onwards um tragedy looper however does have a means of creating new scenarios it does mm-hmm. which does a lot to sort of mitigate that sort so of it's only it's only legacy in what is provided for you not what you can generate yourself mm. uh which is true of many games i think Well, thank you for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed our look into Legacy Games. That'll do it for the Snakes cast this week. Thank you, David, for coming back. Oh, thank you. It's a topic I very much enjoy talking about. You can get in touch with us at podcast at snakesandlattes.com to say hi, to suggest a topic, or just let let us know what you think. The Snakes cast is produced by Dax Audio, and music is provided by Ben Sound. Tune in next week when we're going to talk about solitaire games. The opinions expressed on the Snakes cast are those of the presenters and guests and nobody else's. See you next week, everyone. Bye. Bye.